really appreciate your singing, and especially the young people. Those verses really touched my heart. Little Mikey, I met him at a swimming pool. Put this down last week, and uh, had a good time because I see and sort of see souls all over the place that need Christ, and so I talked about him in the swimming pool. And later on, he saw me on the street, and he followed me out to my car. I hadn't talked about the car, but he went, "Wow, what a car!" He's 13 years old. And I said uh, right away, because I had his interest there, and that's what we'll talk about, getting people interested, working up the soil before you plant the seed. I asked him a question. I went fishing. I said, do you know why I have that sign on the side? And he read it, and he said, that's about Jesus. It just says Christ. He put the name Jesus on it. I said, that's right, because he saved me from my sin. Christ died for our sins. One of the kids quoted that verse. Well, little Mikey listened, and I shared some seeds, the truth of God's word, and then we parted, and I thought, oh, I should have given him a Gospel of John at least. Well, I went over to Burger King, uh, which was down the road. Who should be there at the fountain but little Mikey? And I walked in, and I said to the lady, watch out for him. He's a character, and he just smiled. (laughs) So we sat down and talked some more. Well... I went back to where I was staying, and who's standing by my car? (laughs) Little Mikey. This was God. God is working. I have never seen so many people saved so quickly as the last four years in America. God is really stirring hearts to be hungry. Well, the rest of the story is Mikey left with a Bible. One of those Bibles is back there, actually the little black one, because kids like small books. And it's leather-bound, India paper, really nice. And he just held that like that was the greatest treasure. He never had a Bible in his life. And I'm praying for, I get emotional whenever somebody is either close or entered in at the straight gate and received Christ as their Savior. He was on the way of trusting Jesus. That just happened last week. Uh, I could tell you stories about yesterday, but some of those people may show up in the church, so I didn't want to use their names. Uh, (laughs) And this is a wonderful state. I am just excited. Number one, I've seen a lot of good churches. They may not all have good teaching, but at least I see the gospel on signs left and right all over this state, big billboards too, and about one of my subjects that I'm really concerned about, the young people that are suffering in abortion, which has to be stopped, and it will be stopped because the people of God have the right to rule this country, not some politicians. It's we the people, and we need to stand up against evil and say something, not be the lot that just lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, enough said for that. The um, Lord has also, he's in in a a battle, and we are too. As I came down through the state, I noticed so many signs about sex shops and horrible things that are going on in this state. The lines are drawn. It's obvious. There's a real battle here. And praise God, because... People are rising up and putting up good signs that talk about Jesus Christ and billboards and putting their money where the mouth is. And I praise God for that. That's why my car has Jesus' name in big letters. I was in Oregon. I don't know if you know that state is quite liberal. It's worse than uh, California. But I was spat at. I was chased out of town uh, by people who said, get your piece of junk out of our city. It's a 1932 Dodge. What do you want? It's Jesus' name on the side they didn't like. And the lines are drawn there. In fact, the assembly, when I got there, I looked at it and said, oh, my goodness, gorgeous building like yours has a big lawn because they got a lot of greenery out there and big marks of a four-wheel drive Jeep. Obviously, they'd gone around and done this, a wheelie in the middle of the lawn and just tore up the lawn. Paint thrown on the front door. They were discouraged and saying, oh, this is just so hard. I said, praise God. The Lutheran church didn't have that. The Presbyterian church didn't have that. Not even the Baptist church had that. But you have the mark of being righteous. Those that are godly will be persecuted. And it was good. So if it comes here, I don't wish it for your assembly, it's a good sign that you're getting the gospel out. And the enemy is not happy. And I know sometimes when I leave assemblies, they get all fired up about, we can do this. Everyone, my burden is that every one of you lead someone to Christ this week. You'll see how, because it's what we're here for. That's what our whole life is all about. Not just waiting for the rapture. That's wonderful. That's a bonus. That's fantastic. Not just fellowshipping among us in the holy huddle 
as I call it, but leading the lost to Jesus Christ. There's only one way for them to be saved. And it's exciting to see assemblies across America get on fire, see new people added to their assembly. Um, I won't go into the stories because it takes too much time, but I've seen hundreds of people get saved in the last couple of years, and it's exciting. You can do it. Well, I'd like to share about France, first of all, because that's where I live, and uh, missionaries have a hard time talking about themselves, so what I did is I prepared a nine-minute little video that shows 44 years of my hair changing from dark brown to white and my kids growing up from little kids to big kids. Um, My grandchildren now are 21 and 20 years old, so that's the perspective you get there. But rejoice with me at the hundreds of people that you will see in uh, four different places we worked where the Lord sent us. There was no gospel witness in two of the cities, and the Lord saved so many people that there are large assemblies now of uh, 300 people where they are doing the work. That's what's exciting. I love to just pass it on. Uh, my original reason to come back to America and to talk about it was, listen, we need replacements. I'm getting older. I'm going to be in heaven. Well, my wife is there already. Five years ago, she died of cancer. And so she's preceded us. She's in glory. But who's going to take her place? Young or old, God is calling every one of us to lead people to Christ. It's not a spiritual gift being a fisherman. It's a job, and we need to get to it. So just um, enjoy as I just let this go, and hopefully it will work. Um, Yes, it's already going. Let me, I should back up, actually. I should shut that off and back up because you missed the first one there with all this technology was going crazy here. (laughs) And the songs that you heard started there are written by French young people, both the music and the words, which is a new thing. I've really encouraged it because uh, music is a cultural thing, and a lot of our Christian songs in the evangelical churches in France are translated words with um, Anglo-Saxon music, so to speak. And it doesn't really work. So this is new. The first one is about the blood of Christ, and I am just blown away by the depth of the words of this song. He didn't just pay for our sins. But he also cleanses us. He also sealed our salvation by his blood. And they go on and on. If you know any French, you'll understand it. The second one is, where was I when he was knocking on the door? Why did I pay attention? And it's good for unsaved people as well as saved people as we think about that. So I'll just let it go. Some prayer requests. The second one I've highlighted because that's a real burden I've had since I've come back to tell about the Lord's work in France. Assemblies have said, well, we don't see that happening here. How come? Uh, Incidentally, 3,000 people, the number of Christians on this planet grows by 3,000 every single day. If you calculate, I'm a math nerd because I'm an engineer and so forth. 2,000 years minus the 31 of Jesus Christ, plus 17 more, because we're in 2017, by 365 and one quarter days. And you come up with the exact number of people that call themselves believers in Jesus Christ on this planet, about 30% of 7 million people. That's amazing, because a lot have died and are up in heaven, like my wife. And sure, there are some that are not true believers, like Ananias and Sapphira in that group of uh, the Pentecost group. But that's a phenomenon that's going on. Is it happening here? Are we seeing that many people added to our local assembly? That's the big question. And why not? Because there are parts of the world where it's really going. Uh, I've been told many times, France, that's a tough field, isn't it? I don't know. I sure don't see it as a tough field. You see the hundreds of people that the Lord has saved. Um, It's the same as America. We just need to get out there and lead them to Christ, and Christ will do the miracle of salvation. Our job is leading. Our job is not saving. But he is a great savior, and he does it. So I encourage you um, on that to become a, to be mobilized, that every believer in the assembly here become capable of leading someone else to Christ. The big question is, well, how? And so that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. The how was a big question for us, my wife and I, We met in Bible College, Philadelphia College of Bible, because I had to get my Bachelor of Science degree for my engineering degree, and Emmaus didn't have a BS degree at that point. So it's a sister school where C.I. Schofield started the school in Philadelphia. We met there. That was God's will, too. So a little bit of the history of our life. 
I met her when she was 17, and I asked her a double question because it was obvious that we were going in the same direction. Faith, would you go to France with me as a missionary, and would you marry me? In that order. (laughs) She looked at me like, that's a really strange proposal. Yes and yes. So from day one, we were going to serve the Lord together and had 40 wonderful years of marriage. The Lord took her. She's in heaven. She's rejoicing because it says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that either didn't do it or didn't need to. That's not the question. It's the one sinner that repents and that the heavens rejoice over that. So I know my wife was rejoicing yesterday as I met some people. I'm so tempted to give their names, but they'll probably show up here. Um, just in on my way to the beach, I wanted to do beach evangelism. I never got there. I loved to swim, but I never got there because I had so many people that stopped and wanted to talk to me. And even uh, one couple ended up coming back and saying, could we take you to dinner after we had talked about the Lord? So I spent another two hours with them uh, in a restaurant talking about the Lord. And they want me to come over to their house uh, during the week too. So God is on the move in this town right now. And I need help. You know, it's not something that just the professional missionary does or somebody that's got the gift, so to speak. It's a job that we can all do. So I'd like to answer that big question, well, how, by um, looking in the book, as I say, look in the book, because that's where all the answers are. Sometimes people will ask me tough questions when I'm leading them to Christ, and I say, I really don't know. Frankly, the world doesn't want a know-it-all guy that has all the answers. And so I'm honest, and I say, I don't know. But I know who does. Let's go look in the book. And I'm leading them to Christ. That's how simple it is to lead somebody to Christ, to listen to Jesus. And even out of ignorance and saying, I don't know the answer. So I encourage you that it's possible to do it. Well, let's look in the book. First of all, and maybe I could ask some volunteers there. I have some pieces of paper because I like practical things that you can take home and not forget and say, hmm, yeah, we looked at this. Now let me check it out again if I'm doing it or not. So the first one is a sheet of paper. I like to pick on guys. <laughs> Put them to work. This first piece of paper is a little method that I came across in how to look in the book by asking questions. Questions are all over the Bible. Incidentally, Jesus asked 290 questions in the Gospels. That's a lot of questions. So I ask questions of God. Well, who wrote this? Who are you talking to? And at what time? Etc. Before I come to the last question, what do I got to do about it? Too many times we jump to conclusions by reading a verse out of context, and that could become a pretext for an error. And so this is just a little method to encourage you. That's what we're going to be doing, is looking at the uh, couple of verses in their context, and I'll be moving quickly through them in these seminars, but not out of context. The context is our context. It's addressed to us. And so it's not something that you can say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Second piece of paper, I'll have to get some more volunteers here, maybe over on this side, is taking the book of Acts and saying, okay, let's ask these seven questions, the same seven questions. So the first piece of paper you get, you're going to get two now. First one is sort of generic. Any passage in the Bible, ask those questions before you come to a conclusion and say, what do I got to do about it? That's extremely important. You know, all the cults and all the errors are based on reading a text out of context. Like Jehovah's Witnesses, they read something in uh, Isaiah and they say, you shall be my witnesses, and it's Jehovah. And they say, that's us. No, it isn't. It's not you at all. It's Israel, for crying out loud. Read the context. He's talking to Israel, and he names the, the people there. Well, we know that one. That's obvious. But you know, as Christians, sometimes we do that too. Or we say, well, that's not my context. These things in Acts, that's not really uh, normative for me. And I've had people say that to me. Oh, well, Paul, you're applying things to us today. That was the early church. That was before chapter 26. I'm an Acts 26 church person. That is not true. Examine the scriptures. Look in the book and check it out. Thank you very much. And so that's why I asked those seven questions of the, of the book of Acts. Not for you to read now. You can take that home and say, okay, does he have the answers to these questions from the book itself? Yes. Notice, I don't quote any commentaries or any great preachers. Just a verse in the Bible tells you when it was written. A verse in the Bible tells you to whom he's speaking. And 
it, it brings home the message really powerful so you can come to the right conclusion in the end. Well, then I will, I think I'll hold back on the third piece of paper because that way you'll be listening more to what's going on up here. And that will be what we'll look at this morning for our first step into how do we do it? How do, can we see this phenomena of hundreds of people? Sometimes I say, well, I like the little phrase, each one bring one. You realize that if each one of you just said, Lord, I'm saved. You gave me such a precious gift for all eternity. I want to share it. And I got the message. We looked at the book of Acts. This is the church. This is our context. We're not talking about Israel. We're not talking about even before Israel. We're talking about Christians here. I want to do it. I'm signing up here. If each one just said, I'd like to lead one person this year to the Lord, this assembly will double in size by next year. Well, I'm leading people to the Lord every week. And so maybe you could lead two people in a whole year because that's 365 days. That's a lot of people. Well, you realize what would happen to this assembly. And if those people really get saved and you made a disciples like what I, we did in France, for instance, the church said, I mentioned one chapel there, they had to rebuild a church in 2016. Um, they put out a half million dollars out of their pockets to build a chapel for 300 people. So it's about the size of this chapel here. It's too small. And I'm not even there. They're doing what I did for them, leading others to Christ and multiplying. So I go back and there's so many people that I don't know that I get to know. And it's really exciting to see that phenomena of how the church just multiplies, explodes. And this is all from Scripture, how we should do it. Well, the first question I ask, too, of Scripture is, what is my mission in life? Lord, why do you have me here? My wife has gone home. And uh, I remember my wife asking me, why is the Lord making me suffer so much? I know where I'm going and you know where I'm going. She had cancer that just tore her insides inside out. And it was tough to, to care for her. And I said as a husband, I don't know. Only God knows. And then a few days later she said, I got it. I said, what? She said, the answer to my big question. It's all of the Bible. It's sanctified, set apart, made holy. God is so gracious to me. I could have died in a car accident. He's giving me time to get my house ready. You know, that that was tough for me to take. And so I take the application. Why am I here? Because my house is not totally in order yet. I haven't been doing what the Lord wants me to do. Totally. She was ready to go. And I saw my wife in that time from discovery to the end and holding her hand as she closed her eyes and said, thank you. Become what God wants us to be. She led so many doctors and nurses to the Lord. i got to not talk about this subject. And that I was just blown away. One nurse was taking her blood and finished. She was doing her exam and she passed it. And my wife reached out and said, you know, I'm going to die. Excuse me. I'm going to die. And the nurse sort of turned white, didn't know what to say. What do you say to a patient that says that? And so she just waited. She said, but it's okay. I know where I'm going. Do you? That's what God wants every one of us to be doing. Every moment of every day, leading people to Christ. And that's what our mission is. Well, you know, even the world has understood that mission statements are really important to the point where companies have written them down. And I enjoy um, Internet, so I looked on Internet after my tires on my antique car that I bought from Cooper Tire Company. Uh, didn't make it around the country. And I went, what on earth? What's with this Cooper Tire Company? So I'm going to cook the Cooper Tire Company. I hope nobody works for Cooper Tires. But anyway, I looked on the Internet, and sure enough, they have mission statements slash, um, what is it, the, the big company magazine. I can't remember it now. Um, fortune slash fortune. So you can check it out too. And it's all alphabetical. All these companies have their mission statement. The purpose of Cooper Tire and Rubber Company is to earn money. Period. I went, wow, now I know. <laughs> I was a real dummy buying their tires. And so my eyes went down the list to D because that's after C. And it says the purpose of Dole Food Company, you know, the Dole pineapples and all that kind of stuff, been around for 100 years is to supply the finest food products. 
That's why they're still in business. They've got their mission straight. Do we have our mission straight? Do you know, could you write it down on a piece of paper quickly, what is my mission in life? Why am I here? Why hasn't the Lord taken me like my wife? Or Why hasn't he taken the whole church yet? What is our mission? Well, it's very clear. It's written down for us. It's in God's word. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are sent ones, every one of us, and that's the word apostole in the Greek. Every single one of us is a missionary, just like we sang this morning, which incidentally, you look in your English Bible, you won't find the word missionary because they forgot to translate the word apostole or apostolos into missionary because that's what it means. Apo means far away and stole means standing. Be on a mission. Every one of us is sent by Jesus Christ as the Father sent him. Remember how he sent him from glory, the ivory palaces, as we read in the Song of Solomon, to the stinky stable in the same way. He sent every one of us into this filthy world to to lead other people to Christ. Second verse, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Pretty clear mission statements. And so I like to write things down. Because if it's not written, it's not serious. Try it. Write those verses and put them on your mirror. So tomorrow morning when you get up, you realize that's what I'm supposed to be doing today. That's my mission. All the other things might be towards that mission, uh, education, jobs, etc. But that's the real mission. That's my goal in life. Incidentally, I just heard on the Good Christian Radio, I I like K-Love. I listen to all kinds of Christian music. And uh, unfortunately... Instead of quoting scripture after somebody called in, he quoted St. Francis of Assisi's. I'm a former Catholic, and I would throw that book in the trash. St. Francis of Assisi said, go and preach the gospel, and if you have to use words, if you have to, use words. That's bunk. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go and preach. Open your mouth. There's no such a thing as a silent witness. You're either silent or you're a witness. We need to open our mouths. And that's how I do it. Because we learned that's the only way to lead people to Christ is to give them the truths of the gospel, give them the word of God, plant that seed, and God's powerful word will take root and they will be saved. Just doing good deeds is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, and it's so important. So enough for that little preachy thing there. So let's let the Lord lead us in this journey of leading other people to Christ. And after all, he is called the Lord... And there's a famous statement. He says, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you do what I say? Pretty heavy for Sunday morning. But there it is. What he says is to be missionaries going to all the world. Well, let's also get a, an idea of what this mission is because it is really big. First time Christ came, uh, he came to Israel. And he made it very clear in passages like Mark, Matthew 15:24. And Matthew 18.3, he came that they would be converted. Except you be converted, you'll all likewise perish. He wasn't afraid of that word. The world puts pressure on us and says, ah, oh, you're just out to convert people. Amen. Of course, I won't convert them. Jesus will. But people need to be converted. Don't let the world shut your mouth. Say it very clearly that they need to be saved. Mark 10, verse 6, same thing. His ob- obvious objective was to convert Israel from Judaism. They had gone off track from the law of Moses into a whole bunch of um, good deeds trying to justify themselves and um, please God that way. But he said, do not, in Mark 10, verse 5 to 6, to his disciples, he said, do not go to the nations, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's strange. So the mission was very limited. But now he says, we just read it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation in Mark 16, 15. Must I remind you that Mark 16 is after Mark 10? Obviously, the first mission was Mission Israel. And Jesus concentrated on his people to win their hearts. And he won thousands of people. Imagine that. In three years, Jesus convinced thousands of people he was the Savior. Pretty good. How about us? Have we convinced thousands of people that Jesus Christ is our Savior? We need to do it. Well, in Mark 16, the mission changes, and it's really big now. You might also stop and think that Jesus' mission was very focused 
and in a sense the nation rejected his mission. He was crucified. What's going to happen to us? Ours is even bigger. Is the world going to be happy about it? No. We may get crucified in doing it. I have some colleagues, colleagues, speak English, uh, that um, have given their life for Christ. Um, some of the, the precious ones even that I've led to Lord that have gone back to North Africa have given their life because they got on fire to lead other people in their own village to Christ. It's serious. The world is not happy at this mission that Jesus has sent us on. We'll compare the words in Luke 9, beginning, and Luke 22, verse 25 to 26. Same thing. The mission gets really big. It's huge. Well, how on earth are we going to uh, handle this mission? It's been unchanged for 21, uh, 2,000 years, 21 centuries. It's really huge. The hardest part is getting started. So that's where we'll start right this morning. I hope I didn't take too much time in the introduction. But I have a handful of verses. So this morning, instead of doing edification, giving you something new, deep things of Christ and so forth, building you up, that's what edifying means, I'm going to be exhorting you with five verses that you all probably know by heart. But sometimes we don't realize that that's actually our mission that we have in our hand. And what I'll do is use uh, the image of the hand. We have five fingers. I hope you have all your five fingers. I almost lost one of mine on a a, um, machine doing building. But it's easy to remember them, the verses by the five fingers. And so that's why I'll give out the third piece of paper at this point about the five fingers. As you all know, the first step is always the hardest. You've probably been stalled by saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I have someone that is you know, a friend I really love or someone in my family. I really want to lead them to Christ. I'm going to do this. And you go, you have a good opportunity, and all of a sudden, wham, you hit the wall and you go, and your mouth is shut up. There's something that just stops you. Well, that's because perhaps we haven't stopped and thought about the order that Jesus used in leading people to salvation. In the Gospel of John, for instance, John chapter 1 through 3, notice Jesus never preached a sermon. He didn't do the public sowing that we did. He didn't distribute tracts. He didn't hand down Gospels of John. Of course, uh, they weren't written yet. But he didn't sow the seed yet. He let people talk about him. John says, I come to be a witness, to testify to the truth. Over and over in John chapter 1, he uses the word witness. And baptism is a witness of that too. So he's baptizing people to prepare them for the Messiah. And all the way through, even up to chapter 3, Nicodemus says, we're all talking about you. These were unsaved people who were witnessing Jesus' life and realized there's something different there. They need to know about it. And so the Gospel of John starts with that. And not until chapter 4 does Jesus start talking in the city of Samaria. Acts, same thing. Starts chapter 1, obvious, that's the beginning of the book. You shall be my witnesses. So this is your first first um, finger in getting started. Start by telling people what Jesus did for you. Get them curious. Prepare the soil before you sow it. Many times we start sowing the seed, giving people a, a Bible or a Gospel of John, even in our families. Um, we really want a cousin to get saved, so for a, a graduation present, we give them the Bible. They're not prepared at all. And so it falls on hard soil. It gets stuffed on a shelf somewhere, hopefully, not thrown away, or totally forgotten like the birds that eat up the seed because we haven't done the very first thing that Jesus did and the very first thing that the disciples did, the very first verse that Jesus gives us there. You shall be my witnesses. Now, the thumb is the biggest of the fingers because it's easy to talk about your story. You know it. You're probably the expert on it. While sometimes kids, their parents are experts on their lives, know their story better. But basically, we can tell people better what's going on in our life than they know about it. Well, he said it to all of his disciples. That's where that context thing is really important. Acts chapter 1 through 3. Uh, 1 verses 3 through 4 it says Jesus said this to all of them 
That's the context. In verse 14 through 15, they all got together and Jesus hammered them with it. You shall be my witnesses. Stay in Jerusalem before you start going. I want you to be witnesses. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, over 500 saw him at the same time before Jesus went back. And his message to them was all the time, talk about what I did for you, the cross of Christ. Not what you did for him. There again, um, we could talk about that as a whole seminar in itself. What makes a good witness? The world doesn't need to know what you do for God. And sometimes we say, hey, I go to so-and-so church. That's what you do. Instead of saying, Jesus Christ transferred my life. He saved me. I enjoy going to McDonald's because they're open at all kinds of weird hours. And as I travel, I have to eat at strange hours too. So I will go in there and uh, take my sandwich and look around the restaurant. And uh, having in the eyes of Jesus, we'll talk about that later on, opening your eyes and looking around like you saw Zacchaeus in the tree. There's always some guy eating by himself. So I go over to the table and I say, hey, can I eat with you? This is the Zacchaeus technique. I invite myself into people's lives. All of them, without exception, I see their eyes move like, is this place really that full? <laughs> There's an empty table over there. And they sort of look at me and go, well, okay, I guess so. Nobody has ever refused. That's what's really cool. And then I start talking to them about what Jesus Christ did for me. I said things like, I've read something really fantastic in the Bible. Boy, this morning I was so blessed by what I read in the Bible. And they're looking at me like, what? Or I ask them questions. So what's God doing in your life? And they always answer, what did you say? What's God doing in your life? Well, I don't know. That's the general answer. Well, look, at we're eating at McDonald's. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's fantastic. We're in good health, I hope. God, he's so good. And the best thing he's ever done is he became a man and came down to save us from our sin. Going right into, from the curiosity of eating with this person, I'm able to sow the seed. That's really basic evangelism, is get used to telling your story, bragging about Jesus. I tell young people, just brag on Jesus. You can't say too much good about him. He's always better. Now, there's a sales pitch. Uh, so don't talk about yourself because you're not better than he is. Talk about him. Brag about Jesus. Let the world know. Well, notice this is also a prophecy. It's not a request. He doesn't say, you can do it if you would like to, but you shall be my witnesses. Unfortunately, a lot of us are poor witnesses, but you shall be a witness. He wants us to be good witnesses, so let's concentrate on being a good witness. Really talk about him and give him the glory. That will get people curious. I do it with my car. I don't have that in France, so I use other things. Um, and they, I don't want to spend too much time on all the different ideas. Well, here's a Bible example. John, is, John did it. John saw Jesus come into his life. I hope you have too. He listened to his word because Jesus spoke to him and said, John, I want you to baptize me. And John hesitated and went, wait a minute, this is my cousin. I never saw him do anything wrong. So, you know, the, the picture is not quite right. How about if you baptize me uh, as the sinner and I re repent of what I've done wrong because you don't have anything to repent of. Jesus said, no, I want you to do it this way because Jesus is taking the place of the sinner and getting baptized there. The gospel was beginning there. Jesus was doing a witness, getting people curious why is Jesus getting baptized? I bet a lot of people knew Jesus. This guy has never done anything wrong. What's he doing going down there with the soldiers and the, the other wicked people and getting baptized? Because he wanted to get their attention and tell them the good news. He would save them from their sin. Well, then John not only saw Jesus come into his life, listened to his word, and I hope that's happened to every one of you, then he obeyed him as Lord and said okay and baptized him. Well, what happened after that? John, his ministry totally changed. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes the way of the sin of the world. He was so excited about Jesus and he told what Jesus came to do. And so I tell people all the time, make sure you are very clear with other people what this is all about. Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. My old car, for instance, uh, we'll be doing it next week. I um, meet a lot of guys that love grease, and I like it too. And, and so we talk motors, and I said, you know, we all get dents in our fenders, don't we? I intentionally let, left those scars of those dents in that car. 
And they said, yeah. And I said, yeah, with cars, we call that an accident. But actually, we bashed somebody else's car up. In our lives, that's hurting other people. And God calls that sin. But you know what? My car can't fix itself. It would have ended up in the junkyard if I didn't save it. And you can't fix yourself either. You need a savior. That's how fast you can move from curiosity to the gospel. And I said, and then I give them Bible verses about Jesus. That I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I've seen so many men that would never enter a church get curious because of the testimony of my car. I got Jesus' name on the side of it. But whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you're doctor, dentist, or uh, a worker in a factory, there's always a means for you to talk about what Jesus did in your life because it's your personal story and nobody can argue with it and they will be very curious about it so that you can sow the seed. And that's exactly what John did. Good witness tells what Jesus has done for them. John one twenty nine and verse 36, he says that all the time. He's the one that took, takes away the sin in the world. Well, good witnesses also are faithful never adding or subtracting, even if it costs. For instance, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, I look at my notes because I would say, Apocalypse chapitre 2, verset 18. <laughs> I get going in French. I do this in France too, so I have to look at my English notes to get the right word. Sorry about that. But uh, Jesus Christ says, I am so proud of my faithful witness, Antipas, who was faithful unto death. He didn't change his story. He went all the way to death for him. You might be wondering why Paul says three times in the book of Acts the exact same details of how Christ saved him. And that sounds like a waste of ink. But God is trying to show us in that book that's our manual how to do it. Don't change your story. I've met Christians where uh, I first heard their testimony how they got saved and then I hear it ten years later and it sounds like they were a little more sinful and now they're a little more holy than the first version it's sort of um, embroidering, as we say in French. Make sure we tell the true story because the neighbor doesn't want to hear about you or a drug addict and a drug dealer and I don't know what all else and stuff. Uh, he just wants to know what happened in your life and put himself in your shoes and say, I could do that. I could be saved just like this neighbor that I'm meeting. So it's important to be accurate. And like I said, a silent witness is a total contradiction of terms. Don't let me hear you say that. I've had people say, well, Paul, you talk. Yeah, I was a wallflower until Christ taught me what it is to be a witness. And I have to open my mouth and talk about it because you're either silent or you're witness. My daughter, oh boy, the clock's going too fast. My daughter is a judge now. And so I tease her, your honor, what would happen? And she said, cut it out, dad. Uh, if someone was at the scene of a crime, they weren't the criminal, and you had them come into the, the courtroom. She said, well, because she's in an upper court there. She said, well, first of all, I asked them their name, where they live, etc. I know it all, but I want them to say it just to see if they're going to trip up. And that's like God. I want their witness. And then she will say, well, I wasn't there at the scene of the crime. You were. Tell us what happened. If that person dares say, well, judge, your honor, I'm going to be a silent witness today. She will rip them up and say, this has nothing to do with the Fifth Amendment. We're not judging you, but I will judge you right now for contempt of court. Ten days in, in jail. Get out of here and come back in ten days. She doesn't even give them five minutes to think about it. But they're condemned as contempt of court. You cannot be a witness and be silent. You're either silent or you're witnessing. Stop and think about it. When you're trying to be a silent witness, what you're doing is asking expecting the unsaved person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit to observe your life, to witness your life and get so curious that they ask you, why are you so nice like those Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses? What makes you tick? That's not being a witness. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. You need to speak up and open your mouth and tell them Christ died for my sins. He saved me and get their curiosity so that you can plant the seed. So enough said with that. In fact, my daughter says, this can go on forever. If somebody really is stubborn, I just give them another 10 days and then another 10 days and that there's no end to it until they open their mouth. Well, I would hate to be in someone's shoes to get to heaven before the judge of the universe who says, I sent you into the world. You shall be my witnesses. What did you do about it? 
Well, I was a silent witness, Lord. I didn't have the gift or whatever your excuse is. Contempt of court. And that's God Almighty. Pretty heavy for Sunday morning. We'll move on. The second step, quickly, is sowing the seed. That's your second finger. You have all the verses on that piece of paper, so you won't forget this. Uh, the story of what Christ did for you just works the soil. No one gets saved by your testimony. They just get excited. If they do follow because of what you tell them, your story, they're just groupies. And unfortunately, we have that sometimes. We have people that will come into the assembly. They're there for a year or so, and then all of a sudden they disappear, and we wonder, well, what happened? I thought they were saved. They spoke the language and everything else. That's because they like us. We're nice people. We don't chew, spit, and cuss. So they come and they they follow because of our testimony, which is not bad. That's a little bit of faith in Christ. They're beginning to trust, but they're not saved yet. And so it's extremely important to give them the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not by your testimony. So the seed is the word, according to Jesus' parables all the time, Luke 8, 11. It's quite clear the curiosity makes the person ready to receive the word. Not too soon, but right after. Now is the time to plant the seed. Christ's parables focuses all the time on the seed, on the word of God. And it's absolutely essential to quote Christ. And that's what the apostles did. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Isn't that amazing? It's a simple task, basically. You can tell what happened in your story. It's your story. And you can quote Jesus, quote what he says, and people will believe him. They'll put their faith in him. And it's absolutely essential to quote Christ. Unfortunately, I hear Christians that go with me and say, well, I want to do this. Can you show me how to do it? And I say, okay, it's your turn. And they start giving arguments why evolution is wrong and why, uh, oh, what church do you go to? You go to a Catholic church. Well, you know, you shouldn't be praying to Mary and so forth. No one is going to get saved by your words. Remember that. It's the word of God that's the sword of the spirit. It's essential And that's why many times, and I think probably everybody in this room has probably told someone somewhere along the line, Jesus Christ saved me, so you've been a witness. And I'm sure everybody in this room has at least quoted John 3.16 to some unsaved person or given them a gospel at least or a track, and that's good. But the problem is we're not really gifted in following through what Jesus said. Do it in order, depend on him, and let him bring the increase. Notice this story of John in John 4, 21. I mentioned John 1 through 3. Jesus doesn't preach publicly. He speaks to individuals, calls them to follow him and become fishers of men, which he had to call Paul uh, Peter three times. But John 4, we have a wonderful story of Jesus getting the curiosity of the woman that well by the water, then answering all her questions and being polite about it, and sowing the seed, telling her some truths that she needed to know about the living water of life and who he was, that he was the Messiah that came down. What did the woman do? She ran back to her city and she led the whole city to Christ. Isn't that what you want to do? Wouldn't that be fantastic if we led the whole city of Pembroke to Christ? That's what, ha- that's what happens when we really get excited about him. I'm going to move this up a little bit. Well, when they came... They say something fantastic. They say to the woman, Now we believe not only because of what you told us, that weak, simple faith of, yeah, come and listen to Jesus, but we have heard him ourselves and we know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. See the importance of the word there? The importance of that order? They wouldn't have come if they hadn't heard her testimony, but they heard Jesus and they got saved. That city was turned upside down. Jesus spent many days teaching them after that. Well, it's essential that we do that. Romans 10:13 says, Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. We need to tell that to people so they know that. Jesus is our model again. I'll go quickly. Uh, Mark 4:4 4, 4 records, As he was sowing, and he says, This is the Son of Man, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. You might wonder why I brought those tables back there. 
Well, the Bibles on the right-hand side are not for sale. They're not to take away. They're my seeds that I use, and I just gave away Bible yesterday. So I quick bought some more at uh, Walmart, of all amazing places, good prices. And Because I was on my way to the Christian bookstore, and I didn't get there, so I zoomed into Walmart and got some more Bibles because I need them. That's the most precious seed possible. Well, some sell by the wayside. You might say, Jesus was awful wasteful, wasn't he? I wouldn't question Jesus' methods. He knows what he's doing. And so I've taken that as so liberally. Just give out the word of God, left and right. I used to buy those cheap Bibles, you know, um, three Bibles for $5 kind of thing, newsprint. After you used them two times, they start falling apart. That shows what we, how much we value the word of God. Now I buy leather-bound Bibles back there, you'll notice. On India paper, nice white stuff so you can see it sewn together so they don't fall apart. And I have noticed that I have never given a Bible to someone who has not gotten saved. That's not magic. That's the power of the Word of God. And people value it when you put your money where your mouth is. Sure, I spent 25 bucks a Bible. But when I meet, I just met a, a trucker the other day who opened his heart to the Lord. I said, I got something for you. It's the most precious thing I could give to anybody. And I gave him a leather Bible. He says, you can't give me your Bible. I said, I want to. This is, this is more important than anything else. He has written to me three emails this week. God is working in his life. That's the power of being generous and giving out God's word. So I encourage adults, you put a lot of money in your budget for food, for yourself, or for your house, for your car, whatnot. Put in your budget every month. I'm going to put apart $50. I'm going to go to the Christian bookstore. I'm going to buy $50 worth of Bibles. And I'm going to give them away this month. And next month, same thing. Another $50 and give them away. It's really not much money. But you can buy a good leather, a couple good leather Bibles like that and give them to friends. And you will be amazed what happens. That's why I say this is not just a, a normal message. This is super practical. This is exhortation. You know the verses. Be witnesses. Get people curious. And start sowing the seed liberally, pour it on. So those are examples of that. Also on that table you see some DVDs that we'll talk about later on, how I invite myself to people's houses. Um, I'm going this week to a couple that, um, I was the couple that invited me to dinner. And I said, hey, I've got a super DVD I'd love to show you. It's a true story. And they said, yeah, that would be great. And I said, I'll bring the popcorn. And so I'll be in their house talking to them about Christ, which is another great tool. Um, so let's just do it. Well, the third step, quickly, is leading. Uh, when Jesus spoke about being fishers of men, he wasn't talking about being a farmer. That's pretty obvious. And yet, most of the time, Christians that I meet have done the witnessing, they've done the sowing, but they haven't done the fishing. And that's our weakest point, unfortunately. Number one, he says, follow me. Jesus never used a hook. If you notice all the parables, there's not one word of using a, a fishing line. Some Christians even wrote books about it, like I go fishing one by one kind of a thing. That's not what Jesus did. He used a net all the time because he wanted the fish to come alive and conscious of what was going on, not hooked, tricked, and forced to come. Sometimes we do that with children. We drag them to church, and we should be fishing with our children the same way we fish with other unsaved people too. But drawing them with cords of love so that they understand what's going on and they're alive when they're caught. Follow me, he says, and I will make you. We'll talk about that uh, later on this week of the transformation of our being to be fishers of men. It's not just having the equipment that makes you a fisher of men, not just having gospels and tracts and so forth. And you probably know it as well as I do. It's just not working. That's because you are not a fisherman yet. And Christ says, I will make you. Paul won't make you. I will make you. And so that's essential. We'll talk about that later on. Fishers of men, keeping the objective on them and not on ourselves. Well, the methods of the master are not commercial at all. They're totally different. I've noticed about 70 methods of the master, I call them, in the Gospels that turn you upside down. You say, wait a minute. I thought to lead somebody to Christ, I need to invite them to a barbecue like we're going to do here. That's good. Nothing wrong with it. But Jesus never did. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. He invited himself to Simon's house. And then he said, Simon, I've got a question for you. 
He went fishing in his house. He invited himself into Peter's boat and said, I need your boat. And what happened in that boat? Peter ended up on his knees in front of him and became a believer in Jesus Christ. He invited himself into all the villages. Nobody invited Jesus to those villages. Jesus just went. He invited himself into the synagogue, into the temple. And we need to follow it. That's one of the 70 methods of Jesus and have the courage to invite yourself into the lives of other people. But many others, like he never prayed before he preached a big sermon. It's always good to pray. Pray without ceasing. And pray at all times is good. But Jesus prayed afterwards all the time. And that's extremely important. Using leading questions is how Jesus went fishing. And that's my... um, Ooh, I kept that for tonight. I didn't bring it in. You'll have to come back tonight. I have all 290 questions typed out on eight pages for every one of you because I know what happens. If I give you 290 references in the Bible, nobody's going to look them up. So I type them out and I put them in classifications and these are the questions Jesus used to go fishing and he won so many. He led them to Christ. And so we'll look at that tonight. We often miss this key step. It's so important. Open questions, not... Do you go to church? No. You're shot. But I will look at some of this very Arab-looking, for instance, in France, and say, so where do you go to church? I know they don't go to church. So I'm I'm a Muslim. I say, well, you are? Why? So I keep them going. I'm playing basketball until I shoot a basket. And it's amazing how that was the message, the same method Jesus did. Even when he was asked questions, he asked another question back again because he was drawing in the net. When you ask a question, you are, in a sense, demanding an answer. You're also closing in the subject. Here Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ? Now we're not talking about football players. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. I do that many times standing next to my car. People get curious. What's this guy doing with his car? I talk a little bit about it, and then I say, and I point to the sign and says, so what do you think about Jesus Christ? I'm leading them to him. I'm drawing the net in. And they have to make a decision. That's what's so important. Too many times we get people curious, we sow the seed, and the fish goes down the river because we forget to ask them a question. So what are you going to do about it now that I've told you what Jesus says? That's the art of fishing, and it's so important. Listen carefully to their questions because they may ask questions um, that are difficult and Uh, Their response lets us know where they're at. I oftentimes ask people that question, this one right here, and they say, oh, he's my Savior. And I say, praise God, tell me your story. How did that happen? Because sometimes it's not quite clear about their salvation. But other times when they tell me, wow, we end up hugging each other and praying together and praising the Lord, and I encourage them to go on the way uh, talking about Jesus Christ. Well, Sometimes their questions are tough. And like I said in the beginning, sometimes I can't answer them. But look at this one. Nathaniel said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was known as the really bad side of town. And um, P- and poor Philip didn't know how to answer it, so he just said, Come and see. Lead them to Jesus. I say, Let's look in the book. And it works all the time. It's really important to uh, finish that. Well, my fourth finger is saving. I've got to go real fast here because I'm way over time. <laughs> I have a ring finger on, a ring on my finger, on the ring finger. I can't get it off. I'm not married anymore because my sweetheart's in heaven. But it reminds me of God is the only one that can save. The Bible is very clear that you can't argue anybody into heaven. You have to let the Holy Spirit convict them of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Sometimes we want to convict our kids of sins because we know the whole story. Hold back. Let God do his job and you do your own. Uh, in John 16, verse 8 through 11, he alone can forgive. He alone can convict. He alone can save. Jonah 2, 9, the verses in your, on your paper there. Salvation is of the Lord. Prayer is essential after sowing. Jesus is an example of that. Even Jesus didn't argue with people to get them saved. But after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. What is the value of the soul? I thank God that as I get older, I sort of wake up two or three times in the middle of the night. 
And um, that might be bothersome to some people, but I thank the Lord. I say, thank you, God. I'm going to pray for the people I talk to about you today. And I have had so many Christians come to me afterwards and say, you know, after you talked to me, I couldn't sleep. And I just smiled and I wasn't sleeping either. I was praying that you couldn't sleep, that you would be sweating it out, convicted of your sin, that you needed to do something. You needed to ask Christ to save you. That's what Jesus did. He was praying for those disciples that were in the boat because they weren't trusting in him. And so he had to pray for them and then he went down to save them from the storm. The privilege of intercession is really important. Romans 10.1 We can pray that they will be convicted of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And you want to pray according to God's will. He said, I want to do that. So pray that prayer. God convict them of sin, righteousness, of judgment. And then the fifth and final step is discipling, which we'll talk about later on. Mission world is not finished until we make a disciple. Well, here it is. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. First step is get them to testify. I led a young man to the Lord in front of a chapel just recently. Uh, He was just on the sidewalk going by, and my car was parked out front. He said, wow, cool ride. I said, yeah, cool sign. What do you think about Jesus? There was an elder standing there. He said, oh, my goodness. (laughs) He moves fast. That young man opened his heart to the Lord because I said, you know who Jesus is? And I started quoting what the Bible says, that he's Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is the way, the truth, and life. And I asked him, so what are you going to do about it? He said, I'd like to be a Christian. I said, great, what's holding you back? I guess nothing. So let's do it. So I put my arm around him and prayed for him first. I said, Lord, uh, this is, um, his name was Jim. He wants to talk to you, listen to his heart. And he started praying and he confessed his sins right on the sidewalk in front of the chapel. It was amazing because he had heard the words, Christ died for our sins, and he understood what it was all about. Well, he said, now I think it was probably the first time he ever prayed. He's from a Catholic background, just said, Hail Mary. But he prayed to Jesus this time. And so he finished, and I said, let's go tell someone about it. He looked at me like terror in the eyes. Uh, I said, well, is there somebody at your house? Well, yeah, my mom's there. Let's go tell her. Notice I said, let's. I didn't tell him, go home and tell your mother. Let's go. Because when you baptize somebody, you get wet too. It's impossible to baptize somebody without getting wet too. And that's the principle of making a disciple. Go with them. Don't give them a book. Don't give them a course. You have to do what Jesus did. He went with his disciples. He said, come and follow me to make a disciple. Jesus is the perfect example. Start witnessing together is the first thing. And second, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Incidentally, that is not mentoring. I can't stand that word. That's from the world. That means making a clone of you somebody that follows you, that's great for business. I did it in my business. When I had somebody leaving, I had to get somebody to replace them in the building business, and I wanted them to do exactly the same job. So you follow John around, Jacques, you become a Jean, and uh, it works. But heaven forbid that we have more clones of Paul Howland. We don't need that. We need disciples of Jesus Christ, and there's, in Jesus' words, the way to do it. He didn't say teaching them all things I commanded you either. That's a Christian education. That's good. Nothing wrong with it. And we do that sometimes. We hand people books of discipleship. This is all our, what we believe and this is what we practice. No, he says, teaching them to observe. Teach them an attitude, a passion, a desire, a humility to obey him, whatever he tells them. And that may be far more than you even know. It's the attitude that's important, walking with them. Jesus did it with his disciples. I do always the will of my Father. Come and do it with me. And he made disciples that went all the way to martyrdom because they got it right. So I'll just finish with the three R's. Not reading, writing, or arithmetic because they don't start with R. But I made up my own review because repetition is the seed of learning. React. James says, don't be hearers only. And then remember, come back for a checkup or repetition, running with the truth and returning. Mission world is huge and requires the mobilization of every Christian. If we're going to reach the world with Christ's message, lead them to Christ, we can't depend on a few missionaries. We need every single one of you 
to be mobilized to do it. Let's talk about him and not ourselves. Let's quote him without giving arguments. Let's lead others to Christ, not our church. Let's pray and trust the Lord to save. And then finally, let's make disciples by walking with them through God's word in obedience together. And they will be able to do what we did for them. And that's the secret. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time to open it up, even though it took some uh, extra minutes. I pray that your word would be do the work that you promised of being seed in the hearts of each believer, burning in their hearts as a fire that can't be put out, that you would help each one of us to lead others to Christ and that you would be glorified because salvation is of the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.